Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Crossgate Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. We invite you to visit us at crossgate.org. It is our hope that you will hear from God and draw closer to Him through this service. All right, episode two of The Word Wars. Episode two. Would you find Proverbs chapter 25, please, in your copy of God's Word? Proverbs chapter 25, as we get into this teaching series again this Sunday. As you're finding that, I want to point out a couple things to you. First of all, I want to make a shameless pitch uh, for the study that I'll be leading on Wednesday night this fall, beginning this Wednesday evening from 6.30 p.m. to 8 p.m. downstairs in room 180. Uh, A couple years before I came as your pastor when I was the head chaplain for the Army Rangers, I wrote a book called A More Elite Man. It's for men in the 21st century based on the Bible uh, that basically is packaged in the Army Ranger ethos, uh, accessible to men everywhere. And we'll basically be using that as our curriculum. So, men, I would love to have you join me uh, as we walk through this book together called A More Elite Man. You can register for that at crossgate.org events. would love to have you join us starting this Wednesday night. Second of all, I just want to remind you all that three years ago, the elders and pastors and I put our heads together and prayed about what the priorities of our church should be. And we, uh, we isolated seven and highlighted seven specific priorities that were Jesus's priorities, and one of which was prayer. And uh, we purposed in our hearts that we would not simply be a church that prays, but that we would be a praying church. And we wanted to prioritize prayer in time and space. So as we look across our campus and look across our calendar, we would see prayer getting a prioritized place. And a couple of different things we introduced to do that. One was, of course, our prayer partner network. And again, I can't tell you how warmed my heart is whenever I'm up here right before we bring the word and I'm surrounded by prayer partners leading us in prayer. But we also put a couple of things on the calendar called House of Prayer. House of Prayer takes place on Sunday mornings from 8.30 to 9 in our loft area. And then it also takes place on Wednesday nights from 6 to 6.25 right here in the worship center. House of Prayer is simply a time that you can come. It's a very low-key time to come, spend some time in in quiet and solitude with the Lord for a few minutes, and then we just pray through some uh, directed prayer topics. Super easy. I want to challenge you and encourage you to be a part of House of Prayer. If your schedule at all permits and and, and everything else works out for you to be able to come. A couple reasons. One, uh, because honestly, after a very busy day on a Wednesday, for example, to come in here and just spend some time in quiet with the Lord, it's amazing how that just allows everything to settle down before you step in to those discipleship opportunities and classes, whether it's re-engage, uh, uh, any, any one of um, regen, any, any of our elements in, in uh, discipleship opportunities we have on Wednesday night. Same thing Sunday morning. I guarantee you, if you come and spend a little bit of time in prayer, just getting focused on the Lord, when you step in here for worship and teaching and you step into your life group on Sunday morning, you will have that much more of a powerful and spirit filled experience. So join us beginning this Wednesday night for House of Prayer here in the Worship Center or every Sunday we meet in the loft at 8.30. So that said, we're going to get into our session uh, this morning, our teaching time, Word Wars. Let me remind you of a couple of key things we said last week because these are true throughout the series. One is that our words are a reflection of what's, what's in our heart. Right? Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Or as we shared with you, what's down in the well comes up in the bucket. Right. So whatever you say, that's really a reflection of what's down 
in your heart. Something else we said last week was that our words are exactly that, our words. We, we have to take ownership and responsibility for what we say. We can't blame our spouse. We can't blame our kids. We can't blame our mother-in-law. We can't blame our boss. It doesn't matter. We must be responsible for our own words. And then, of course, one of the other things we talked about was the powerful impact that our words can have, whether the good, the bad, or the ugly, to build people up or tear people down. Now, this morning, we're going to talk not only about what we say, but we're also going to talk about how we say it. Because how we say things, the tone, the, the, the timing, uh, the, just the manner in which we speak is just as important as what we speak. All right, And we're going we're gonna to see a wonderful picture of this in Proverbs 25, verse 11. Check it out. Proverbs 25, 11, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Now, students, just understand when he says a word fitly spoken, he's not talking about the clothing that you have on, all right? Everybody wants to talk about their fit these days or their drip. Anyone over probably 30, you have no clue what I'm talking about right now, but that's just what's out there. So we're not talking about your, your dress, your clothing. When he talks about fitly, he's talking about how you speak. And, of course, King Solomon, who wrote this proverb, had a real eye for gold and silver. And so he said, when, when our tone and the timing of, of, our, of our words and the tact in which we use all lines up with God's intent, it's, it's like a beautiful apple of gold in a, in a frame or a setting of silver. It's just it's so beautiful. I want to be there. I pray that's where you want your words to be as well. So let's talk about that this morning. First of all, let's talk about the right term. Okay, the right term. The Bible places a high premium on us choosing the right words that come out of our mouths because, as we saw in our little introduction video a moment ago, words can bless or words can bruise, right? You think about how the Bible commends that, that we, would, we would give life-giving words to the people around us. Look at this, Proverbs 16. The heart of the wise makes his speech judicious. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. And then look at this, Colossians 4, verse 6. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Someone has well said that we ought to keep our words sweet because we never know when we're going to have to eat them, right? I mean, look, we, we, should, be, we should be saying life-giving words, words that bring life, not, not tear people down. But also, the Bible places a high premium on guarding our words, right? You talk about some quality control, guarding our words. Look at this from Psalm 141, verse 3. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Words are like bullets. Many of you know this, right? Guys, we got hunting season right around the corner. As, as hot as it is out there, believe it or not, it's going to cool off and the deer's going to be moving, and we're going to be sitting there with a rifle, and you get to kind of settle in with that rifle and, and align your sight picture and get your finger on the trigger and, and have all the little things ready to go. But guess what? As soon as you pull that trigger, that bullet leaves the gun, and then you have zero control over what happens with that bullet at that point in time. Same thing with our words. We get to choose when we speak. We get to choose how we speak. We get to choose what we say. 
But once that word leaves our mouth, it's gone. And you, you've lost total control of it. That's why I love the old woodsman's proverb. When it comes to talking, right? Y'all that do woodworking out there, you know this is true. Measure twice, cut once. Honestly, when it comes to our words, we should probably measure three or four times before we cut. Because the fact is, once you cut, you've cut. By the way, this is one of the reasons why I highly emphasized last week the importance of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, because if, if, if we're not filled with the Holy Spirit, there's no way that the right kind of life-giving words are going to consistently come out of our mouths. But when we yield ourselves and give control of our, of our, of our mouths to the Holy Spirit of God, really as, as, as an overflow of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, that's when we begin to speak the words that represent the fruit of the Spirit. Right? So, so as we choose our words, let's choose them in alignment with what God wants and those life-giving words, the right term. But let's not only talk about what we say, let's talk about how we say it. How about this, the right time? Let's talk about the right time. You know, the Bible says that, that there's, there's a time to speak and then there's a time to shut up and listen, right? Ecclesiastes 3 verse 7, look at this. There is a time to, to be silent and a time to speak. Now, I think we all understand this. When we're not talking, what should we be doing? Listening. Sure. I mean, after all, God only gave us one mouth. He gave us two ears, right? So when we are listening, and specifically when we are listening patiently, watch this, okay? Patient listening produces understanding. That's one of the key fundamentals of communication, whether it's in marriage, whether it's in your workplace, or anywhere else for that matter. One of the key goals of communication is understanding. Let's, let's look at James 1, verse 19. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. Why? Well, certainly one of the reasons is because as we listen, we develop an others-centered posture, right? and others-centered posture. We're not just talking, talking, talking and focused on ourselves, but we're, we're, we're listening, not just to hear, but to understand. And by the way, we're, we're listening patiently. All right, let's just be honest. How many of you know that sometimes it's a challenge to wait for the other person to say every single thing they want to say before we jump back in? How many of y'all know that's a challenge? Sure. I, I will tell you, this series, we're only two weeks into this series, it is already eating my lunch, all right? This series is already eating my lunch, and my wife, God bless her, she's not in here this service, so I just have to speak on her behalf, but my wife will tell you that one of the challenges I face is the temptation to interrupt and to not be patient when other people are speaking, right? Who, who was it? Winston Churchill, who said... Don't interrupt me when I'm interrupting you, right? But there's, there's something inside of us that wants to jump in and speak before the other person is done speaking, right? Whether it's just a, a kind of a bold interruption or we're just impatient. See, patient listening produces understanding, right? What does the Bible say about understanding? Look in Proverbs 18, verse 2. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. The fool's going to interrupt people. The fool's going to cut off people. The fool probably won't even stop talking because he's not concerned with what other people think. He feels like he has all the answers. I mean, after all, why, why else would you not want to listen to anyone else? 
if you figure that you've got it all figured out, right? So patient listening produces understanding, but here's another reason why timing is critical, okay? Timing is critical because economizing our words allows for quality control. Think about that, right? It's not just quantity of words, it's the quality of words that really matters, right? Economizing our words allows for quality control. Look at these scriptures. Proverbs 29, 20. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Another one from Proverbs 10, 19. Too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. And lastly, Ecclesiastes 6, 11. The more words you speak, the less they mean. So what good are they? Now, I shared a little bit about my life story with you last week in that when I was a kid, words were my weapons. And man, I, I got so good. I mean, I became a, like a word ninja with, with my words. I could, I could push people's buttons and harass people and, and just, I mean, I was really good at it. In fact, my name, my, one of my nicknames when I was a kid at school was the Mouth of the South, right? I mean, just... If you need anyone's opinion on that, just ask the teachers from Babson Park Elementary School back in Central Florida, okay, because they'll tell you that when I was a kid, I was constantly talking. As a matter of fact, when, when we got our report cards, every six weeks when we got our report cards, you know, the report card had two different sides to it. One side was for su subjects, math, English, all that. I, I did great on that. I mean, I got straight A's. But on the other side of the report card, that was the conduct side, right? Man, I don't even want to go there, but I will. And my conduct thing, it was all over the place, right? Shows self-control. Talks out of turn, right? That kind of stuff. Uh, in fact, it, back in those days, the, the grades that they gave for conduct was, I think it was G for good, and S for satisfactory, and then NI for needs improvement. And if you got a, a needs improvement, it was pretty much like an F. You failed conduct, right? So my thing for uh, talking out of turn, NI, needs improvement. Uh, shows self-control, needs improvement, right? I, I, I was not heeding God's word at that time because I was just running off at the mouth, the mouth of the south, right? See, here's the challenge, right? The, the, the challenge is that, that to, to speak the right words in the right way at the right time, it requires self-control. How many of you have ever heard the statement that goes like this? Just because you think it doesn't mean you have to say it. You ever heard that? Sure, you, sure you have. Maybe someone has told you that, right? Maybe someone has told you that. Fact is, sometimes we feel like the whole world has a right to what we're thinking. Oh, man, I had this, this thought coming to my mind. i got to tell everybody. Right? The fact is, if we don't have self-control with our words, well, think about what the Bible says about self-control in general. Uh, Proverbs, look at this. Proverbs 25, 28, like a city whose walls are broken down is a person who lacks self-control. That's true in any area of life, certainly with our words. In Iraq and Afghanistan, we would be on these little bases, and our bases would be surrounded by these, these massive wire baskets filled with dirt making these walls, or we would have some concrete barriers around our little bases. And, and, and those served a purpose. And if, if, those, if those walls just somehow mysteriously disappeared overnight, I mean, we would be overrun. Those walls served a purpose. Well, very similar to a man or woman who lacks self-control specifically with their words. They're like a city whose walls are broken down. 
You know, our own Mike Fenley, uh, one of our missionaries sent out from Crossgate Church, he and his wife Allison, ministering through Family Life Ministries here in Arkansas and beyond, uh, shared this with me just this week. It's a little criteria uh, for uh, applying to your life in terms of what you say and when you say it. Look at this. Does this need to be said? You could ask this of anything that comes out of your mouth. Does this need to be said by me? Does this need to be said by me right now? You know, we're going to do a whole message in a couple weeks about words in the home. But I will tell you, you could, husbands and wives, you could get a lot of mileage out of this just in your marriages alone. Husbands, wives, pay attention. Write it down, take a picture. You will get a lot of mileage out of that in your marriage. So there is a certain quality control when, when we consider the right time to speak and the right time not to speak, to measure three or four times before we cut to make sure we're saying what truly is a blessing and not a bruising for the other person, okay? So that's the right term, at the right time. Now, how about this, in the right tone? You know, tone is one of those nuances that, um, that really plays a huge role in, in communication, doesn't it? I mean, there's all kinds of different tones we could take. We could, we could say something really loudly, or we could get really quiet. Or we could just be very stern. Don't ever do that again. Right? Tone really matters. Now, I want you to think about this because oftentimes when the Bible talks about tone, it talks about our response to when someone else is getting amped up or ramped up. Look, look at this. Look at this from Proverbs. Proverbs 20, verse 3. It is an honor for a man to keep aloof from strife, but every fool will be quarreling. Do you know anybody? who just, they're, they're always like this far away from a verbal altercation with somebody else. They just, they, they're just looking for a fight. They're just, they're, they're just looking for an argument, a time to argue. They'll argue with anybody, anytime, place. Man, I don't like being around people like that. I don't know about you. I mean, I just, I can't stand being around people who just constantly are, are ready for a verbal brawl, all right? They're always ready to, to, to respond in, in a, in an angry way. How about this? Probably the most famous verse in the whole Bible on this subject, Proverbs 55, 1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A gentle answer. Remember, it was, it's a response to someone else who's getting amped up and ramped up. A gentle answer. You say, Pastor Phil, I, man, I have, I, I have so many challenges controlling myself in those types of situations. I don't, I don't think I can control myself. Yes, you can. Case in point, listen to this. All right, honest now, be honest. Ha have you ever been having one of those conversations with your husband or your wife, co conversations, you know, the kind the neighbors can hear three houses down, right? You, you ever had one of those kind of conversations? Just nod your head, don't look so holy, okay? <laughs> yeah, of course you've had. You have had conversations like that. And you're going, I can't believe you said that. Why'd you talk to my mother that way? Bah, 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 bah. And then the phone rings and you say, hello. Right? Of course you can control your tone. The fact is, we don't even think about it or pray about it. I mean, it, it, it's an incredible thing. But just understand that the tone in which we respond to other people says a lot about our love for those people. Did you know that? Did you know that, that, that tone communicates love? 
Okay, think about Jesus. Jesus is like the expert on everything, okay? Look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's Jesus' response, okay? But now let's think about 1 Peter. Same thing, 1 Peter 2, look at this. Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. And when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Here's one of the reasons why a gentle answer is the right response to someone else's anger. If at all possible, remember Romans chapter 12, this is, I'm just, this is free, I'm thinking about this off the top of my head. It says, if as much as is possible within you, be at peace with all people, okay? So I'm talking about responding with a gentle answer. Here's one of the reasons why. Because hurt people hurt people. And, and, and when you run into someone who's in a foul mood and who might be giving you a dose of their anger, you really don't know what they've been through, right? You just, you don't know. Maybe it's just their personality. Maybe they're just an angry, rotten person, okay? But maybe they've been through some stuff in the last two hours or the last week or the last month or the last year that would absolutely light your hair on fire. A gentle answer turns away wrath. Right term, right time, right tone. Now let's talk about the right tact. T-A-C-T, tact. Tact is the sum total of wisdom regarding what we say and how we say it, right? This, this is where we put all of this stuff into practice. And I'll be honest, you know, when it comes to words and speaking, it, in many cases, there's, there's different ways to say the same thing, right? And so what we have to do is have the wisdom to know which way should I say this so that it will truly be a blessing to the person and not a burden to them. All right, let's just, let, let me give you some examples. A man could say to his date, oh, you look like the fresh breath of spring. Or he could say, you look like the end of a long, hard winter. Some of y'all figure that out in a minute. You're saying the same thing, right? You're saying the exact same thing. But, but how are you saying it? Okay. How about this? When I look at you, time Stand still. Or, you got the face that could stop a clock, right? Now look, all I'm simply saying is there's, that's kind of a silly way to put it, but look, there's, there's different ways of saying the same thing. How, how do we have the wisdom to choose the right way to say it? That's going to be a blessing and not a bruising for people. Okay, let me just give you a few practical examples. Okay, first of all, let's talk about the craft of constructive criticism. The craft of constructive criticism. Let me give you a scripture, and I'm going to give it to you in a couple different translations. Okay, this is the ESV. That's the translation from which I typically read. Like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. That's ESV. Okay, New Living Translation says, to one who listens, valid criticism is like a gold earring or other gold jewelry. And then Eugene Peterson's The Message says this, a wise friend's timely reprimand is like a gold ring slipped on your finger. Constructive criticism. 
You know, the challenge in our world today is everybody feels like their spiritual gift is criticism. And so many people are willing to tell you what they don't like about you and what they, they, don't, they don't like what you said or what you did or, or anything. Now, constructive criticism has its place, right? It, it, absolutely. Constructive criticism in the workplace, in your family, with your children, whomever. At church, we call that admonition. The Bible talks about it all the time. But here's the, here's the challenge. Healthy, constructive criticism that's truly going to be received like, like, a, like a golden ring or, or, or some type of, of pleasant jewelry is always going to be prefaced with two or three things that you like about what that person is doing, okay? Understand that. Because we are so quick to just jump on someone for what we don't like about what they're doing, and we want to point that out. But one of the best principles, interpersonal relationship principles is this authentically point out two or three things that, that, you, that you truly appreciate about that person before you, you mention something to them that, that you would like to point out that's a, that's a shortcoming, okay? I, I learned this principle from uh, Don Carson, uh, Professor D.A. Carson up in Chicago. He was my PhD supervisor. Dude's written dozens and dozens of books. And he interacts with all kinds of different worldviews, uh, different Christian perspectives within Christianity, other worldviews as well. Very gracious man, unbelievable, one of the most intelligent, if not the smartest guys in the entire world. He could pick anybody apart. But the fact is, he always takes time to point out something or two or three things that he appreciates about someone else's point of view or someone else's whatever they're doing. And then he says, but here, here's where I have a, a problem with, with what you're saying or what you're doing. I'm telling you, the, the constructive criticism that you have for someone else Parents, this is a tremendous, tremendous skill and principle that you need to have in raising children, okay? Bring those constructive criticisms, but always, and I'm not talking about just blowing smoke at somebody, well, here's something I like about you, and then you jab the knife in them with whatever you want to say that you disagree with, but I'm talking legitimately, authentically, highlight a few things that you appreciate about that person or about what they're saying or whatever, and then share where there's a disagreement, where, where, where there's a difference, okay? Because I will tell you that will go a long way in relationships. We're talking about tact now, communication, how we communicate. All right, here's another one. One more, I'll give this to you as well, okay? Let's talk about the art of asking questions. The art of asking questions. Look at Proverbs one more time. Proverbs 20 and verse 5. The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. So, there's things that are going on in our lives, oftentimes that we don't want to talk to anybody about, right? Whether it's spiritual things or other issues, emotional things, okay? And, and that's inside of us. And, and the Bible says a man of understanding, a woman of understanding will be able to draw that out of that person. And obviously for, for, for the good, for their good, for God's glory and, and, and for their good. Well, how do, you, how do you draw things out of people? By asking questions, Right? You're asking questions to people. You're getting into their lives asking questions. Right? I'm telling you, this is one of the most powerful uses of words in the language we speak. The power of a question mark. A couple things to think about. Okay, first of all, look at this. Asking questions facilitates healthy conversation. Now, our culture is in deep, deep trouble because... People are losing the ability and the capacity 
to have meaningful face-to-face conversations where you look at someone in the eye and you talk to them like, like a regular human being. And, and technology is not helping us in this area. For all of the things that technology is doing to help us to communicate, it is, it is not helping us to have healthy eye-to-eye conversations. I love the quote from Sherry Turkle from her book, uh, Reclaiming Conversation. Great, I would recommend that book. It says, face-to-face conversation is the most human and humanizing thing we do. Fully present. When was the last time you were fully present with someone and, and you weren't checking your phone? Or, right? Fully present to one another, we, we learn to listen. It's where we develop the capacity for empathy. It's where we experience the joy of being heard and of being understood. But our device-based lives have gotten us in trouble. We now rarely give each other our full attention. And many young people are growing up without experiencing unbroken conversations either at the dinner table or in other spaces. Our devices have stolen our attention and diminished capacity for conversations. We can't even have a conversation with people these days where you just ask questions of one another. Just basic questions. You know, having a conversation is like playing catch with a football or, 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 a, or a baseball. You just you toss it back and forth. Well, you're asking questions. You're conversing eye to eye, face to face. The art of asking questions. It's, it's a powerful thing. Several years ago, Shara picked up this little book in a thrift store. I think she got it for 99 cents. It's actually put out by the Navigators, a Nav Press, Christian organization. 201 great questions. I'm not saying this book is the be-all, end-all, but every single page in this book has a different question on it. And the questions range from anything from, if you could go anywhere in the world, where would you want to go, to something much deeper and much more spiritual about God and so forth. And, and what we do from time to time is when we're sitting around the dining room table, after we've eaten, we'll pull that book out, randomly go to a question, throw it out there, and then we'll just go around the horn and everybody gets to answer the question. There's, just, there, there's, a, there's a practice there of developing a culture of having conversations, being able to, to, to communicate well, speak well, and so much of, of healthy communication is question-based. All right, so that's one thing. Uh, asking questions facilitates healthy conversations. Here's another thing that asking questions does. Asking questions demonstrates interest and concern. Asking questions demonstrates that you actually have concern and interest in the other person, right? Okay, so let's, let's just think about this. Let's say you're eating lunch with someone at Subway or wherever, you, Chick-fil-A, wherever. You're, you're sitting at the table, and you're, you're sitting there and talking and talking about this, that, or the other, and then you get up to leave, and that other person has never asked a question about you personally. Marriage, kids, anything, whatever. This, they, they don't ask any questions about you. Would you walk away from that lunch feeling like that person was truly concerned about you? No, of course you wouldn't. Say, I I guess they're not really all that interested in me. See, there's an art to asking questions and and demonstrating a concern and a compassion for people. But here's the last thing that asking questions does. Look at this. Asking questions creates a way in. Asking questions creates a way in. And by that I mean into other people's lives. You know, my good college buddy Frank Shelton, who is now a full-time evangelist, travels all over the world preaching the gospel. He oftentimes says Christians should always be looking for a way in, not a way out. Meaning in other people's lives, right? Isn't that so different than how our world lives? Man, we're so busy. 
we're, we're just we're so focused on what we have to do. We've got our lists of things to do for the day. And, and, and the whole idea of pausing long enough and asking some questions of someone, whether they be a total stranger or whomever, looking for a way in to their lives. Right? Looking for a way in. Because in is where the, the hurt lies. In is where the pain lies. We're so busy looking for a way out of people. Man, I, I don't have time for you right now. I don't have time. Whether we're saying that explicitly or not, I don't have time. We're looking for a way in to people's lives. Because, because by asking questions, we find ourselves inside of that person's heart and really understanding what's going on, finding out where they're at emotionally, finding out where they're at spiritually. All kinds of questions we could ask. Look, I'm not talking about asking them for their social security number or their, their credit card number or their Netflix password. All y'all that are stealing Netflix from your friends and, and family <laughs> or whatever streaming platform you use. I'm talking about just, just basic questions. Finding out where they're at, finding out how they're doing, getting in. That, that's what Jesus calls us to do. You know, the, the most important questions that someone ever asked me they asked them because they were concerned about me. They asked the questions because they truly were concerned about where I was spiritually. Pastor Guy Sanders, Pastor Mike Landrum, two of the pastors from the church where I was saved back in Florida as a 17-year-old boy. Uh, they, they cared enough to ask questions to get in to my life. You know what those questions were? Here's the first one. The first question is this. Can we get that question up there? Question one, have you come to a place in your spiritual life where you know for certain that if you were to die today, you'd go to heaven? I mean, they asked me that question. Why? Because they were nosy? No, because they cared about me. They cared enough to want to get into my life, not out of my life. The second question they asked me was this. Suppose you were to die today and stand before God and he were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Again, they asked me that question, why? Because they, 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 were, they were nosy? No, because they cared enough to want to get into my life. Right? The, the art of asking questions is the art of getting in so that we can express concern, compassion. How, how are you doing, man? finding out where they're at emotionally. Some of the people we work with, some of the people we know in our neighborhoods are absolutely being crushed by, by stress and all the rest and getting in to find out where they're at spiritually. Let's bow for a word of prayer. We've covered a lot this morning, I know. Tons of scriptures here, there, and everywhere in the Bible. But I guess the, the key takeaway would be that we need God, and we need the Holy Spirit to fill us if truly we are going to have the, the right words at the right time and tone and tact, that we could be a blessing to other people. What would you say if myself or someone else were to ask, ask you those two questions? Have you come to the place in your spiritual life where you know for certain that if you die today, you, you, you go to heaven? Do you know for certain? Have you gotten your salvation settled? That's the most important question anyone could ever ask you. What, what, are, what are you going to do with Jesus? 
And there's certainly people here who have never gotten that settled. Trusting Jesus Christ. We always ask at Crossgate Church, what's your next step? Well, this is not just a next step. It is the step. Perhaps you're here and you, you don't know. Authentically from your heart, telling the Lord and just saying this, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe that you, you died on the cross for my sins. My sins. Jesus, I believe you rose again physically and bodily on the third day. And Jesus, I believe you're holding out that free gift of eternal life to me right now. Jesus, I want to receive that gift by, by faith. I can't earn it. I can't deserve it. I can't work for it. I simply receive you as my Savior and my Lord, and I want to follow you all the days of my life. And Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for your word. You reminded me this morning before I stepped out for the first service, as a pastor of this church, I have nothing to offer these people. Nothing. Zero. But only your word and the Holy Spirit in and through me. That's all I have. And so I thank you, Lord, that, the, that, that this message this morning does not depend on my ability or my cleverness or creativity. It depends on the power of your word. And so as we have delivered your word this morning, God, in truth, I pray, Lord, that you would, you would speak and that your word would find a place in the lives of our people, being transformed and speaking words of life, life-giving words. Help us to do that, God, in your strength. And God, for those who have never been saved, I pray, Lord, that today the, the word would find a place of lodging in their hearts, that they confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead, they will be saved. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We love you so much. And I pray, Lord, that in the days ahead, we could live lives that are pleasing to you. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Friends, look up here. So if you've never taken that step to be saved, trusting Christ, what I want you to do is I want you, as soon as we're done, I'm going to dismiss you in just a moment. I want you to come to our next steps area and let's talk and pray and, and share about what it means to be saved. Well, friends, I pray you have a blessed, blessed week in Jesus, and I pray that as we continue in this series of the Word Wars, that God works in your heart as I know He is working in mine. May God bless you. You're dismissed. Have a wonderful, wonderful Lord's Day. We invite you to join us in person at our campus located at 3100 East Grand Avenue in Hot Springs, Arkansas. If we can pray for you, send us an email at prayer at crossgate.org. Thanks again for listening to our audio podcast.